Hey, Mosaic, uh, welcome to our online worship experience here. Uh, before we jump in, I uh, wanted to suggest something to you. So one of the big things we're about here at Mosaic is inviting people. We invite all we're kind of obsessive includers in that. And uh, right now, if you could uh, hit the share button. That's uh, like the easiest way to invite people. We're, we're actually kind of setting a goal this week of having 100 shares on uh, our online experience. So you can help do that right now. Just hit that share button and get that going. Uh, we're really excited uh, about the opportunity to reach as many people as we can with this. Hey, so we noticed on Wednesday, man, people are really getting into the midweek uh, worship we've been putting online. So we're going to be doing that again Wednesday, 7 o'clock. Really excited. We're loving the, the interaction we're having and the ability to kind of still feel like we're having community, even though we're all in our own separate living rooms, maybe without pants. So, all right, guys, we're going to get started here. So turn up the volume and get ready to worship. This is the day that you have made Whatever comes, I won't complain For all my hope is in your name And now your joy awaits my praise I give thanks for all you have done And I will sing of your mercy your love, your love is unfailing, Lord, I am grateful. Oh, 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 oh. When I was down, you brought me out, you set my feet on higher ground. So here I sit. You're all my God, your faithfulness, my solid rock. Come on. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. Oh. Our hands the heavens open, heavens open. So let our lives declare the love our God has spoken over us. And as we lift our hands the heavens open, heavens open. So let our lives declare the love our God has spoken over us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give thanks to 
Father God, we just thank you that we can spend time in your presence, that we can hear your voice, that your Holy Spirit can speak to us. God, I pray that the truth of these lyrics would just speak to us, hit our hearts, Lord. The amazing thing about your word and the words that we sing as praises to you is that even when we're in times when we don't understand or confused or when everything around us is falling apart, Lord, you stay the same and your word stays the same. So God, we lift our highest praise to you right now. We lift our greatest song to you as we declare who you are. God, when we declare who you are, it enables us to live the lives we were always meant to live, to be in the place with you that we were always supposed to be. So we give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise. God, you are the way maker, the miracle worker. So we put all of our trust and all of our hope in your hands. You are here, moving in our midst, and I worship you, and I worship you. You are here, working in this
Hey, Mosaic, happy Sunday. Hope you're doing well and you haven't, you know, duct taped your kids and locked them in a closet or something like that, at least, you know, not for too long. Um, I wanted to start this morning by just being real with you. Um, I hate this. I hate this, like really hate this. Uh, I see like other church people posting stuff about oh, the church is in a building, let's show the world the church is in a building, and we're at Mosaic going, welcome to the party, right? Like, we haven't had a building in three years, and we didn't like our building when we had it. Uh, so yeah, church is in a building, but uh, we were meant to gather. There's something about gathering, and I really miss it. I miss gathering, and I'm an introvert, and I miss it, so I, I can't imagine what the uh, extroverts are going through right now. Uh, I hate that I can't see you. I hate that I can't hear you. I hate that you can't feel that together. Uh, I just wanted to acknowledge that. And uh, I also want you to know that I am incredibly grateful for technology, and I love that we can do this. I, I hate that we're doing it, but I'm grateful that we're able to still gather. Uh, I see a lot of people doing like the plastic smile thing, like, isn't this awesome that we can still gather? No, it's not awesome. This, this stinks. But uh, I don't think we have to lie to be grateful. So I miss you guys. I, I wish this wasn't what we had to do, but here we are. Uh, so I'm trying to like psych myself up to actually be able to preach like normal, like you were here. So that's what I'm going to do. And uh, maybe what I'll try to, my mentality will be that I'm just going to preach to myself and you can kind of listen in today. So before I preach to myself, let's, let's pray. Jesus, uh, we thank you for technology. Uh, we thank you for the ability to uh, digitally gather, I guess. Uh, pray for every person listening right now, Lord, whatever living room they're sitting in, Lord, I pray that your presence would be there uh, in the same way it is when we're together and that uh, our hearts would be open to what you want to do in us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so uh, we're in this series, this Jesus series. We've been in uh, forever now, and uh, it's pretty cool because when we put these series together, I mean, we put this series together months ago. And uh, this scripture that we're going to look at today was scheduled for today, and I think it's really amazing how God does that sometimes because this is like perfect for us today. So we're in John chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 1. Pretty familiar story, but uh, really good one. So <clears throat> a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, brother Lazarus was sick, so these two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So we have this family uh, consisting of two sisters and a brother, and they're very close to Jesus. Uh, you know, they're, they're not one of the 12 disciples, but man, they seem to have like a special place in Jesus' heart, uh, in his life. They're, they're around a lot, and Lazarus, the uh, brother, is sick, and the sisters send word to Jesus, hey, your boy's sick. He's really sick. And uh, they, don't, they don't ask anything, right? They just kind of say, hey, Lazarus is sick. Now, based off of what you know about Jesus and what they know about Jesus, well, what do you think they want him to do? Uh, heal him, right? I mean, that's kind of obvious. They don't explicitly ask, but maybe they think it's implied. I think they also expect a, a message back, you know, on my way, O-M-W, like, on my way, I'm, I'm, I'm coming. Uh, that's at least what I think they expect. So verse 4, here's what happens. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, 
It happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Now, <laughs> that is a huge statement. We're going to dig into more uh, later in the story, but Jesus does a lot of foreshadowing in the story. He's like he's trying to lead people to uh, think a certain way. So he hints a lot, but he doesn't come out and explicitly say what he's going to do. Uh, again, trying to kind of lead people towards something. Uh, verse 5. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was, for the next two days. So he doesn't come. He gets their message and he just leaves them on red. <laughs> doesn't respond. No three little bubbles coming up. Uh, nothing. Nothing. Uh, you, ever, you ever had that happen? You ever get left on red? Uh, to be honest, I do this to other people occasionally. I'm just going to be real with you. I do this to other people occasionally. Uh, sometimes it's because I'm scatterbrained and I start to respond to one person. They got another text and that one's more urgent. So I open up that one. And then I forget that I had the other one open. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes my kids come in and, you know, derail my train of thought, which never gets back on the rails. Sometimes that happens. Most of the time it's not on purpose. But um, I did this one time. I did leave somebody on red on purpose for a while. This guy was trying to sell me something. And I just kept ignoring him, kept ignoring him, kept ignoring him. And I was sitting at Starbucks. <laughs> And he walked in, and I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So I was, like, trying to hide behind my computer. And uh, he walks up to me. He's like, hey, man, like, this must be a God thing. And I'm like, it feels like a Satan thing. Like, I can't believe here we are. Uh, so, yeah, being left on red, not a fun feeling, especially when it feels like God's leaving you on red. Like, God's not responding. Like, God's silent. Like, God's distant. When you feel like you need him to show up, and nothing. And that's what's happening here in this story. They need Jesus. They, they need Jesus and he doesn't come. So if you've ever felt like that, if you've ever felt like you needed God to show up in a situation and you just get crickets, then you know exactly how these ladies feel in this story. But before we jump to the next verse, I got to tell you, um, the New Living Translation really really botched these verses. Uh, I hate the way they word. Uh, it's really just the one word. They use this word, although. Uh, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was. Um, it implies, when, they, when you put the word although in there, it implies that Jesus had to put a pause on his love for them to do what he was about to do. Uh, he loved them, but he wasn't going to show up. Uh, as if staying where he was, was not a function of his love. So if you look at, a, at another translation, the New, New American Standard uh, translation, it says this, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That changes everything, doesn't it? Isn't it crazy how just one word can like change the entire meaning, the entire feel of just a couple of verses? He loves them so he stays. He loves them therefore he stays. He loves them and because he loves them, he stays. Changes everything. It, it, it reveals his true motive. He's not going to go and heal Lazarus right when they want him to because he loves them. And I think that's such an important thing. I, and, and I get why the New Living Translation, I mean, I love the New Living Translation, but I get why they did it because on the surface, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? If Jesus loved them, why didn't he go? If Jesus loves them, you would think he would want to go heal. He would want to be there when they need him. Um, but I actually think this is, 
the entire point of the story. That Jesus does not show up when they want him to show up because he loves them. That's huge. And you gotta, you gotta let that truth sink in sometimes. So, so we're gonna spend the rest of the time kind of examining what in the world is going on with that, that he loves them, therefore he doesn't show up. Uh, verse seven, uh, finally he says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objective, Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going to go there again? So how crazy is this? You know, he gets the message and he's getting pressured to go. And now he's decided to go and he's getting pressured to stay. So Jesus, no matter what he does, he seems to experience pressure coming at him from uh, every which angle. So the disciples here, their motivation is that, you know, there are people where he's going uh, that want to kill him and the disciples don't want to die. They want to survive. So this is a, a survival choice on their part. They don't want to go because they're worried that uh, they're going to die. And fear is the driver there. Fear. Now, Jesus is not going to make the survival choice. He's not going to uh, do what they want him to do. And here's how he does that. Jesus makes decisions based on purpose, not pressure based on purpose, not pressure. Sometimes you're going to experience things in your life where, where you have people who want to pressure you away from your purpose. They will pressure you to compromise and give up on what God has called you to do. Sometimes there are going to be situations you're in that, that pressure you away from your purpose. Situations where, where your purpose kind of feels cloudy and distant and there's pressure to move away from that, to not act with purpose, to not make decisions with purpose. I think this is huge for you to realize. That pressure and purpose will often be at odds in your life. So if you choose to constantly cave to pressure, you're going to be heading in the opposite direction of your purpose. And I think uh, when we're in situations like the one we're in right now, where there's pressure from everywhere, there's that desire to survive, there's a lot of fear going on. I think purpose can almost feel like a compass, where, where you, you, if you don't really know what to do, you can look and ask God, what is my purpose in this situation? And, and when you feel the pressure mounting, when you fear, feel the fear building, you can ask God that question, what's my purpose in this moment? What's my purpose in this season? And you got to acknowledge, once you ask that question, you're going to be swimming upstream to get to it. It's going to be hard work. If you don't want to just survive this season, but live in this season, you're going to have to pursue purpose. So what decisions right now could you make during this season based on purpose, not pressure? I think that's a good uh, barometer to use as you're trying to make decisions during this season. Now, uh, Jesus and his disciples, they have a little argument. So we're going to skip their argument about Lazarus. They kind of go back and forth. We're going to drop down to verse 14. Uh, Jesus says this, So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. So if you're following the story here, uh, the guy who was sick, Jesus' close friend who was sick, is now dead. He died during the time that Jesus waited to go to him. Jesus intentionally waits so that Lazarus dies. And then he has the audacity to say that he's glad he wasn't there. Now, I know that most of you all know the story already, so you're kind of skipping to the end, and you're going, well, of course he was glad. Um, but just stop for a minute. You gotta, 
You got to pretend not to know the end just for a moment and enter into this moment. You got to enter into this moment and, and imagine what it would be like to be a disciple as Jesus is saying this. And Jesus' good friend just died. And he's saying he was happy that he wasn't there to heal him. He was glad. I'm glad it happened. That is an absurd statement if you forget the end for just a moment. I can't, I, I don't know, I, 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 got, I imagine the disciples did a double take as Jesus is talking. Like, I'm glad I wasn't there. Like, what did you just say, Jesus? You were glad you weren't there to save your friend's life? That's crazy. And the reason Jesus says he's glad he wasn't there is because there is purpose in this bad thing. There's a bigger, deeper purpose than the disciples or Mary or Martha or even Lazarus could see. Jesus is going to do something with the bad thing that is bigger than the bad thing. Jesus is going to do something with the bad thing that is bigger than the bad thing. So again, let's, let's be real. This thing we're going through collectively, it's a bad thing. Again, we could, we could do the plastic thing like Christians. Be like, it's good, we can make it. it it's a bad thing. Some of you have half an income right now. Some of you have no income right now. Some of you feel isolated, claustrophobic. Some of you are spending enormous amounts of energy trying to protect someone. Some of you uh, are making tough decisions with your business. Some of you are struggling with anxiety and addiction uh, on a level you've never experienced before in this season. This is a bad thing. And you're feeling the weight of it. And maybe you're waiting for Jesus to show up and he hasn't yet. And, and you're kind of feeling this same thing like, I need you, I need you, I need you, and, and, and he's not moving. And what you need to remember is that there is purpose in your pain. There is purpose in your pain. You're going to have to hold on to the idea that God is up to something. That when this big thing, this big bad thing that we're going through uh, is, is over, that we're going to be able to look back on it and hopefully see the behind the scenes that, that God was up to. He's working in each individual life as we all go through this thing. But Jesus loves you, just like he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He's not going to waste your pain. He's not going to lose track of your pain. He's not going to forget your pain. He's going to use it. And you have to like, have the faith that God loves you and sees more than you and press into him in your pain. Otherwise, you're just going to have to hold on for dear life and hope you don't crack up before it's over. So Jesus is pointing towards this idea that he has a purpose in this pain. He's going to do something good with the bad thing that's bigger than the bad thing. So uh, they're going to head back to Bethany uh, where there are these people who are trying to kill Jesus. Verse 16, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. I feel like Thomas is my favorite disciple. Uh, he would be the guy right now who's like making coronavirus memes and, and using humor, dark humor to get through things. Uh, I feel Thomas, I, he gets me. Uh, I think that's just an important thing to acknowledge. Um, we all deal with stress and, and crazy times differently. Uh, so Thomas is a, is a make a joke of it kind of a guy. And that doesn't mean he doesn't know how serious it is. I actually think it means that he does know how serious it is. And maybe somebody else would deal with it differently. Let's just try to be really patient with each other as we all deal with things uh, in a different way maybe. Um, because Thomas is uh, actually, I think, uh, just reveals something about him. He's classically called Doubting Thomas, but I actually think this is a pretty faith-filled 
statement. He'd rather die with Jesus than live without him. He doesn't say, see you, Jesus, have fun. He says, okay, let's go with him, and uh, makes a joke of it too, so I really like Thomas. All right, so verse 17. Uh, when, they, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. So Lazarus is now dead. He's been dead for four days. It, like, he didn't just barely miss him. He, he's gone. He, he, he missed him by a lot. And, and Martha, uh, his sister, goes out to meet Jesus, and here's their interaction, verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you'd been there. My brother would not have died, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. So if you look at this, man, if you like actually kind of examine the way Martha deals with this, it's really interesting because it's, she's got some mixture of emotions inside of her, right? This is a partially faith-filled statement, right? If you'd shown up, he wouldn't have died. Uh, okay. And, and even now I know God will give you what you want, but it's like she's on the edge of something, but she won't quite jump into where she's kind of leading herself to go. So verse 23, Jesus responds, uh, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises on the last day. So Jesus straight up tells her, your brother's going to come back to life. And she kind of jumps to the end of all things. Like, yes, when everyone else is risen from the, you know, when, when, it, when it's the apocalypse and everything's over and God does his thing, that's, yes, Jesus, that's true. But Jesus, again, he's like, come on, Martha, come on. Verse 25, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. I love her response to Jesus here. She's saying, and listen, you got to, again, you got to enter into the moment here. She is saying that despite the fact that her brother just died, despite the fact that Jesus could have saved him, and he didn't show up when she wanted him to, despite the fact that her circumstances are awful, she still believes who Jesus is. Her circumstances didn't change what she thought about Jesus. And this is something I hope you guys realize. I encourage you in all the time at Mosaic, you should not look at God through the lens of your circumstance, but you should look at your circumstance through the lens of your God. You trust God's character even if you can't see or understand what he's doing in the world. Martha holds on to that. Through tears, she is telling Jesus that she still trusts him. She still believes who he is, even though her brother's dead. That's faith. That's faith. I think that's, <laughs> I know somebody needs that right now. Verse 32, she has a sister. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. So I love looking at the, the contrast between Martha and Mary. Martha's got a little bit of a mixture of things. She's a little, you can tell she's conflicted in how she's thinking about this. Mary, uh, she's just angry. <laughs> there's there's a, a frustration to her. It's a little sharp and... Uh, it's, there's still faith there, obviously. She said, hey, if you were here, you wouldn't be dead. She's she still got faith, but, but she's angry. And uh, I think that's okay, too. I think you can be angry and still have faith at the same time. I think we need to give ourselves permission to, to have that as well. 
But the flaw in Mary's faith is that she thinks that because Jesus didn't do what she wanted him to do when she wanted him to do it, that there must not be something better. Like Jesus missed his window for the miracle, right? Like he's like, oh, shoot, I, I like had an opportunity and now I don't. Like it's too late. Like it's too late for Jesus to do something with her uh, situation. But uh, that's an <laughs> a horrible way to think about Jesus that, that he missed it because um, he's setting things up here. So verse 33, 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. So this is a, kind of an inside look at what's going on inside of Jesus. So we keep talking about what's going on with Martha, what's going on with Mary. Now you get to see kind of what's going on with Jesus here. That Jesus himself is having a mixture of emotions, I think that's interesting. He's angry and he's troubled. He's ticked off and then he also is crying. I don't know about you, but when I feel like a mixture of emotions, I usually think that one of them must be wrong, right? That I, I have this conflicting thing going on inside of me and, and I must be thinking about it wrong in order to be messed up and not know what to feel. But that's obviously not true because here we have perfect Jesus having two emotions at once. So let's deal with the crying first. Jesus weeps. Um, now, if we plug what he's about to do uh, into his weeping here, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So if you're not familiar with the story, spoiler alert, Lazarus doesn't stay dead. Uh, he's going to bring him back to life here in literally just a couple of minutes. And yet here we have Jesus weeping right before he does that. I think this is a really important. Some of the stuff we talked about last week, if you were with us last week, um, it's one of the reasons Jesus came to earth, one of the reasons for God to become man, that even though he can see the whole picture, he enters into the moment where Mary and Martha's limited perspective is. He's feeling their pain with them. Even though he could easily step outside of it, he doesn't. Even though he could step outside of everything in that moment, he doesn't. He enters in to what they're feeling and where they're at. His friend died. He's surrounded by the pain of this sin-ravaged world. And in that moment, it all just kind of washed over him. And he allowed it to impact him. So, so facing difficult situations, we need to remember that Jesus wept, that he knows pain, he knows sorrow, he knows what it's like to look around and just become with emotion, be, become overwhelmed with the emotion of what he saw. Now, he's about to do what only he can do in these moments, but before we get to that, we have to look at his anger. So the story continues, verse 36, the people who were standing by said, see how much he loved him? But someone said, this man healed a blind man, couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? And then verse 38, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. So people see Jesus crying. They see this emotional outburst from Jesus and they make an observation. They say, hey, he healed a blind guy. Couldn't he probably have done something for Lazarus too? And then in the midst of this, people are saying stuff about Jesus. He's marching to the tomb now and he's angry. Verse 39, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see the glory of God if you believe? 
So you, you got you to gotta picture this whole scene here. So Jesus, is, Jesus weeps. He's ugly crying. It's not like tear. This is a whole fate. Like he is completely broken by this thing. And when he's done, when he's done weeping, he looks up with like a fire in his eyes and he walks to the tomb and he commands the stone to be rolled aside. And Mary or Martha, who's still having this like internal struggle, protests the command of Jesus. And, uh, he turns to her and I think pretty intensely says, didn't I tell you you would see God's glory if you believe? Because he's still angry, right? This isn't a, oh, there, there, Martha, check this out. It's going to be awesome. Wink like, no, no, no. He's, he's fired up here. So why is he mad? Oh, you could say that he's mad at the sinful, fallen, broken state of his creation. And, and that's probably part of it. He hates this. He hates seeing the world broken, not, not functioning the way he created it to function. He does hate that. But if you look back over this story, there's a consistent theme in every interaction Jesus has. He's searching for something with every single person that he talks to. He is, when he talks to his disciples, when he talks to Mary, when he talks to Martha, when he listens to the crowd, he's, he's looking for something. He's listening for something. Jesus is looking for faith. I mean, he hints at what he's going to do this entire story, and nobody picks up on it. Martha's the closest, but it seems like as soon as she grasps it, she lets it go. She can't quite get what he's saying. And I think he's mad. He's actually angry that his disciples and Mary and Martha and the crowd have faith that he could have done something, but do not have faith that he can do something. And I think this is important for us to remember right now that Jesus actually expects a radical faith. He expects it. He expects his disciples and Mary and Martha to believe that he can raise Lazarus from the dead right now. And I don't know about you, but like when I think about that kind of faith, like the radical kind of faith, like the man, God can do this crazy, awesome thing. I always kind of thought of it as like extra credit. Like, you know, it's on the back of the test where you get those couple of extra questions and like the smart kids will get the extra 10 points back there. But, but it's not going to hurt you if you don't have it. Um, but here we see like Jesus is, is angry and he's saying, no, 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 you Radical faith in, in his ability to do the impossible is not extra credit. It is expected. He wants them to believe in him like that. And, and maybe that seems unfair. But keep in mind, this is John chapter 11, right? There are 10 chapters before this chapter. Up to this point in the book, Jesus turned water into wine. He's healed a little boy in a city he wasn't even in. Um, he healed a paralyzed man. He fed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves and, and some bread. He walked on water. And here's everybody in this story saying, well, if you were here, you could have. And Jesus is like, what is wrong with you guys? Hold up. You've seen all these things I've done up to this point, and you still have a could have faith? Right now, in that situation, as impossible as it was, he wanted them to have faith that he can, not could have, but can do something. So Jesus determined not to let this broken, sinful world have the last say in that situation. In verse 41. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of the people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. So remember in the beginning of the story, uh, when Jesus says he's glad he wasn't there to heal Lazarus, was sounded cruel, but what he was really doing was allowing the situation to worsen so Mary and Martha's and the disciples' faith could grow and deepen. And maybe the situation we're in 
can only be understood from that perspective. That, that if you try to remember that Jesus, is, Jesus wants your faith to deepen, Je- Jesus wants your faith to grow. And a lot of times the most fertile soil for your faith to grow is situations that are difficult and hurt. And then the best part of the story, verse 43, then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. <laughs> and the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. <laughs> I love that he had to tell them to unwrap him because nobody could believe that it. Just, they were just watching this mummy come out of this cave. And he, Jesus is like, hey, hey, let him go, let him go. Like they, they were all just stunned by this thing that just happened. And I love it, man, that Jesus speaks this thing. Lazarus, come out. He tells the dead guy to to come back to life. He tells him to do something that is impossible. And with this voice that pierces through the physical into the spiritual, this command that even death itself, guarding the gates, has to step aside at the command of the king and say, go ahead, Lazarus. I guess you get to get back into the game here because he said so. I love that. But you need to remember that the main point of this story is not necessarily that Lazarus came back from the dead. And yes, Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and he rules over uh, death just like he rules over everything else. But I really think the main point of this story is to remind us that Jesus' prime objective was not to protect people in his life from every bad thing. His prime objective was to deepen their faith in him. And maybe that's weird, and maybe, maybe that's why we're so off balance right now. But Jesus wants to deepen your faith. That is more important than the stuff going on, on uh, in the physical. Jesus cares more about the spiritual. Because Jesus has this way of taking the worst things and turning them into the best things. Taking the pain and hardship of our lives and transforming them into the things that bring him glory. And deepen our faith. So... Maybe you're sitting here right now and you feel like God's got you on red and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting for God to do something. I want your, I guess I want your mentality to be, I wonder what God's doing with this in me. What, what is it, what kind of surgery is he trying to do in my heart right now in this difficult situation? He's not answering and it must be because he loves me and wants something for me. What is it? Pray with me. Jesus, I uh, love that you, uh, you did this thing, Lord. I, it's, it's the biggest statement that you can make, that you rule even over death. But I love even more the details of the story, Lord, that you allowed the pain to continue, that you allowed the pain to even get worse before you moved to remind us that the physical is not the most important. That, that our faith in you is primary. That you care more about what's happening in us than in what's happening around us. I pray, Lord, Lord right now for every single person that, uh, that they would lean into you, Lord. That they would ask the question what you're trying to do in their heart right now. They would have the courage and the energy to go towards that. And that we would have a radical faith in you uh, like you expect. Hey, could you do it before the fall come? Man, what's up?